0: Take your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In our sermon series, the last few weeks we've been doing this, we've kind of bounced around to different scriptures, but this morning, telling you what, you can pretty much open up to Acts chapter 2. Leave your Bible open there, because we're going to spend our whole time in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's exciting, it's awe-inspiring, it's convicting, it's just nothing but goodness. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42 this morning, Acts 2, 42. The New Testament begins with Matthew, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the following John, you have this wonderful book of Acts written by good old Dr. Luke. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the book of Acts. It's just a powerful reminder of what was taking place in the early church. And Lord, as we look to these things, may we get excited in believing that that powerful work that was being accomplished back in those days can be still accomplished through your church today. Lord, that we, as your people, living in the community you have given to us, can be a reflection of your awe, of your might of your power as we live together on mission for you as your people saved by your power for your purpose. We love you, Lord. Fill our hearts with excitement and joy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this week we are beginning a little bit of a turn in our Life on Mission series. There's one more Sunday coming up. I better move these things because I'll take a right-hand turn and run right into them in a second. (laughs) But we're going to focus our attention, and we've talked about Life on Mission. We've seen that in, in life, God has called all of us to be missional because our God is missional. We see right after the fall, even in the curse... Adam and Eve, the ground, the serpent, all cursed. But God is a missional God. He gives them hope right out of the chute. God is going to provide a plan, a redemptive, restorative, renewative plan for mankind. God is a missional God, and since God is a missional God, and we are find our identity in God, then we are to be a missional people. We are to be a people sent into the valley, into the community that God has placed us to make disciples. That's the call for every Christian. You ever wonder one morning, you wake up, or you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're stressed out about your life. Guess what? And you're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? Make disciples. That's what God has called every single believer to do. God has given us purpose to make disciples for him. It's a call and it's a commission for all of us to make disciples. But how do we go about this task? How do we go about making disciples in our community? How do we go about living out the one and others in scripture? Tom Dunbar, and I'm hoping to get that from him. He did this beautiful list of all the one and other scripture references. And I'm hoping to compile that this week and send it out to you. Get that out to you. And so for you to go through this week and just go through all the one another passages. God has commissioned us and called us to live a life together. In service to one another, loving one another, sharing things with one another. It's a beautiful life God has called us to live together. But how do we go about and accomplish this? How do we live this life on mission for him? This morning I want to start with the need. Sometimes in sermon preaching classes, they talk about you can't really talk about a subject to to people until they really have an understanding of the need for what you're going to talk about. That need was greatly illustrated to Christy and I this weekend when we went down to Yakima to do premarital counseling. Um, I confessed the first service and I'll confess the second. I, I have been very remiss in taking care of my marriage. I have put it on hold for a lot of other things and I have pretty much just treated Christy as I would treat like a breakfast meal and and just a daily happens and she's daily there and I'm really appreciative she is, but I have not poured into her and filled her cup. So God's been convicting that and we had this opportunity to go down and do some premarital counseling together and have a weekend away a little bit and it was amazing. We had a great time together so much fun to do premarital counseling with your wife because she gets to sit next to you and hear all the stories and stuff of marriage and we get to re- rehash some things and go through things and she gets to pour into this young lady's heart that we're ministering to and and I get to pour into his heart it's just a lot of fun but one of the things that Christy that i Christy and I have known that when we were early on in our marriage that we struggled with even in our dating relationship that we really desired but we didn't have was people to come alongside of us a man and woman, men and women, that would walk alongside of us and guide us and hold our feet to the fire, hold us accountable, and pour into our lives. We didn't have that. And one of the things as we're sitting there talking to this couple, we told them that the number one thing that they need in their marriage is people, close friends that will come around them, that will walk life with them. Because so often what we see in churches across America today is that we don't often know that there's a crisis situation going on in a family until there's a police report, until the courts are involved, until the couple, and you know, I often judge when I sit see a couple to see how where they're at when I'm, when I'm counseling them by how they sit on the couch. And when usually a couple has one cheek on one end of the couch and one cheek on the other end of the couch, there's some, there's some serious stuff going on in that couple's relationship. But we don't know in a church that that couple is in crisis until we're at that point. Most oftentimes it's because we have not walked alongside of and been active and involved in each other's lives. And we pleaded with this couple, get a group around you. So that when you initially start to have thoughts of other women, you go to those men and you say, I need your prayers. I'm having these thoughts. And they can pour into you and say, we're going to pray for you, we're going to hold your feet to the fire, and we're going to ask you about it. And when she comes home and where she feels, guess what, maybe he's saying harsh things to her. And it happens in our churches, folks. Abuse happens within our churches. It may be happening right here, and I'm not going to kid myself. Men, you may be going home and saying horrible things to your wives and things you shouldn't say. And she may be terrified to say anything to somebody. And if we have community, we provide that opportunity for that woman to speak to other women and the men to turn to you and say, guess what, you can't do that. And we're going to hold your feet to the fire. And it gets dealt with at this level. It gets dealt with down here. So it doesn't need to reach here. We have a great need in our churches to be involved in each other's lives. I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that if we can start living as this was described here in Acts, then we can, we can see that divorce rate in church go through the floor. In fact, we can see that divorce rate drop in our community because we're going to get involved in our community's lives and our neighbor's lives. And we're going to come and pour into them and say, you don't want that. You don't need that. You don't need to speak to your wife that way. You don't need to talk to your husband that way. And it goes both ways. And it's a nasty snowball effect where we start taking each other for granted. And then all of a sudden start saying harsh things to each other. And the instruments in the Redeemer's hands is one of the most convicting stories. Paul David Tripp speaks of a couple that he has known for a lot of years. They have gone on vacations together. They have spent some nice time together. They they thought they knew each other. One day they come into his office, broken, in crisis. And they begin to tell what's been going on in their home. There's been weeks she couldn't leave the house because she was black and blue. There was weeks, times that he couldn't leave the house because she'd thrown something out and hit him square across the head. They'd concealed it and they'd hid it. And they'd walked into the Sunday gathering on Sunday mornings with smiles on and everything was fine. And they kept it and they kept it quiet because it was their pride that kept them from sharing what was really going on. And they were in absolute crisis. And Paul David Tripp says he was heartbroken and absolutely Disgusted that here he was close with these people and had no idea this was going on in their lives. We need open and accountability in our marriages and in our lives so bad so that it doesn't reach that level. We told this couple to take their pride and stuff it. You start having an issue. You start seeing things going on in your heart. Don't pride it out. Don't say, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to manage this. You get with your men and you talk about it. And ladies, you get with the ladies and you talk about it. And you tough it out. You work through the messiness of life together. And you pray with each other. And you hold each other accountable. We have a desperate need to live this way desperate need because we think we know each other. We think we know what's going on in each other's lives. And we see each other maybe at the Sunday gathering. We say a few words and then maybe we we'll get together once a month outside of here. I guarantee you we got struggles going on. Going on in our marriages. And we need to disciple each other. We need to encourage each other. It's in such extreme need. It's not just for marriages. What about the single life as well? We have people in our church that are single by a divorce, are single by, because they lost a spouse, by lost a loved one. We have, there are folks that are single in our church because they're spiritually single. Their spouse doesn't believe. They need community. They need support. They need to be lifted up. They need to be encouraged. They're going through junk. And they need someone to come alongside them. They need a place that they can be open and honest. I love Celebrate Recovery. But you know why Celebrate Recovery exists? Because the church can't do this. The church has failed to do this. It can it can do this. Let me correct myself. It can, but it's failed too. The church has failed to be a place of safety and a place where people, men can meet with men and pour into each other out there in the community and be a part of each other's lives and women with women. So we've had to create programs. We've had to create greeting programs in churches so people can get greeted as they come in the church door. Do you think we have a need to live in each other's lives look what was going on in the early church oh my goodness it's a complete opposite story we need to look back to the ancient way look here in Acts 2 42 there are four things that characterize the early church they were devoted to the apostles teaching fellowship the breaking of bread and prayer believe the rest of this passage goes to support those four things and give you an idea of what living out those four things look like. The first thing they did together was they applied God's word together. Now the word that's used here before they devoted themselves carries this kind of connotation is they busied themselves with, they engaged in the teaching of the apostles, the God's word. And when we engage something, it's not just merely we're going to open it up, read it, and say, oh, that's a nice passage, and move on. They're wrestling with this. What does this mean? How does this apply to my life? How does this change my heart? Because, brothers and sisters, that's what God gave us this book for, to change our hearts. It's not an academic exercise. It's a heart-changing exercise. And if we read God's word and we walk away from God's word and our hearts and lives aren't changed, we've missed the point. We joke around, I've joked around a lot about it's taken me about five years to defrost from seminary. Because in seminary, we study God's word at an academic level. Because it's near to impossible to apply everything you're learning when you're learning it at such a rapid rate. And so you walk out of seminary after four years, 120 hours. You walk out with this perspective of scripture that's not necessarily healthy and it takes a long time to defrost from that and realize this is a love letter to me. God loved me so much. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote through these men and every word matters and every story counts. And it's written there because God wants to change my life. Who am I? Nobody. But God wrote this for me to change my life, to change our lives. Isn't that cool? That's how much God loves us. And he wrote it so that we would apply this word. Now, what we're good at, we're good at going home and you study. Mike, you go study what you want to study. And I'll go study what I want to study. And and Steve, you go study what you want to study. And and we're going all in our seven directions. And you're all going to come back and say, man, I had this great study. But we're not growing together through the study of God's word. You see, this church was, this church opened up God's word and they were spending time together and they were growing together as believers by the study of God's word. It wasn't just an individualistic exercise, they saw it as an exercise to draw hearts and unite hearts and minds together. Every one of us having the Bible in so many different versions, wonderful versions out there that we can study and understand things on our own. It's a blessing, but at the same time, it can be a curse in that fact that we are off on ourselves alone studying God's words and not joining together. Nick was sharing some stuff with me. He goes, Scott, I... I've started studying the Word of God, and this fig tree thing in Scripture, Jesus and Mark, Jesus is cursing the fig tree, and, and and then he comes back, and he goes, the fig tree's dead the next day, and at the, towards the end of the mark, then it talks about the fig tree bearing fruit again, and he goes, what in the world's going on with this fig tree, and he started telling me what he thought about it, you know, he was heading in the right direction, okay, but I was like, did you have you studied that with anybody else, no, see, If he had sat down and studied that with someone else and some other men and wrestled through that together, he would have had a much better understanding of what it's all about. It's an amazing story about Israel. It's an amazing story about what what was supposed to take place in Israel's life and what Israel didn't do. And so the the gospel message was then going to be turned towards the Gentile people. But brothers and sisters, when you see Israel bearing fruit and coming to the message of Jesus Christ, we're almost out of here. Jesus was painting an incredible picture of hope. Oh, it's good stuff. God's word is amazing. And these stories change our hearts and they change our lives. And they give us understanding. And he, the early church was getting together and they were studying God's word together. They devoted themselves. They engaged in. They busied themselves with the word of God. Oh, it's exciting. Notice that they lived life together. This word for fellowship is this understanding of that there was close association involving mutual interest and sharing, communion, fellowship, close relationship. These people knew each other. This is scary, know each other. This is like no holds barred, walls down, you're in my life, know each other. Look at what was going on. People were taking their possessions and selling their possessions and giving them to those who had need. You know, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes in our church, we have a lot of people in our, that have needs in our church and we have no idea about it because we have pride. And we feel it's better for us to handle things on our own. No, it's not, brothers and sisters. If you have need, we have a benevolence fund. And it's It's healthy. If you have need, let's help you meet that need. Let's be a family. Because families take care of each other's needs. That's what we do. These people were so involved in each other's lives. When there was a need, they were selling their possessions. They had, all oh, look at this. And all who believed together in verse 40 had all things in common. There was a unity that existed in this group. There was a unity of fellowship together because they were involved in each other's lives. This is scary stuff. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was this daily interaction with each other. Oh my goodness, let's talk about that first. a daily interaction. That's scary stuff. I'm like, I don't think you want to see me every day. But there's this idea, this understanding going on in the church that they were living life together and there was this daily interaction. And and as we talk about moving forward and looking in what direction we're going, that really scares a lot of people in this church. There's this expectation we're going to spend every single day in each other's homes. And I think that's a little unrealistic, right? But I guarantee what's not an interaction. What if we had two or three or four families that daily we were texting or daily we were calling? I mean, technology nowadays... To put in a text message and send it off and lift somebody's heart. Boom, 30 seconds. Oh my goodness, I can't do 30 seconds. Then you may have a problem with your day being too busy. Just saying. They lived life together. They knew each other's needs. And you know what's really cool? Gotta love this verse, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now... We are a non-denominational church. And we're not gonna sit here and say the charismatics gifts ceased after Pentecost and there's nothing going on. Listen, folks, I'm not gonna put God in a box. If God decides to heal, he's gonna heal. Because he's gonna do what he's gonna do. Okay? And what's really crazy is when we get towards the end of days, what does the scripture say is gonna happen? There's gonna be visions and there's gonna be dreams and there's gonna be uncomfortable stuff that conservative Bible pastors like myself don't wanna deal with because I'm going, man, that's outside of my box. But God's going to do it. He said he's going to do it in Scripture, so it's going to happen. i got to get okay with it. God's going to work this stuff out. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to see his power and might. But you know what's really cool? The more we live like this in Acts, this church, they were living together. They were spending time together. They were in each other's lives, involved, having so much fun together, that they were visibly the power and the presence of God in that community. People knew God was real because people were living for God out there and having fun doing it. That we can do. That we must do. But you got to get this as they're living life together. What was what was people's opinions about them? Well, if they were praising God and having favor with all people, this is so cool. This is really cool because we know as we study the time period of Acts that that the church, the excuse me, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders were coming against the church. There was persecution, right? We read about Paul here shortly thereafter, and, and Saul's going out, and he's persecuting the church, and all this is going on. And we understand that the Romans didn't like the church either because the, Roman, the church was saying there's only one God. And the Romans said, no, there's many gods, right? So what does this mean? They have favor. Is, is the, Bible, the Bible's messing up again, right? No, 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 no. We're not going there. These are the folks you wanted as neighbors. You were begging God for them to move into your neighborhood. Because these folks would be the annoying neighbor knocking on your door the minute you move into the neighborhood or the minute they move into the neighborhood. And they're bringing you cookies even though they may have just moved there. And they're spending time with you and they're noticing what's going on in your life. And they may not see many groceries going into your house. So they may knock on your door and say, can I come in for a minute? And just look around and they're they're being nosy and you're going, what are you doing in my house? They're going, I'm seeing what groceries you need because I'm headed to the store. Because you have a need and I'm going to go fill your need because I love you. And this is what Christians do in each other's lives. These were the people. They, people wanted them around. They had favor, and it's so awesome. They wanted these Christians around. They wanted these Christians communities around them because they God was working out his love and demonstrating his love and power in the midst of them, and they were seeing such a need for it. Brothers and sisters, I know in your heart of hearts, you have a need for community. I know you yearn and ache for it. You may be the most isolated individual desiring to live out in Timbuktu, but you have a need in your heart to draw near to other believers. You know why I know it's there? Because God put it there. God put it there. God put it there for us to be in community with each other. And look in the early church. Man, this was exciting. This is beautiful. They lived life together. They were humble. Folks, they didn't care. Could you imagine meeting in each other's houses, eating bread, baking bread, doing all this stuff together, knocking on the door. You walk into their house. They're not going, oh, please, there's crumbs on the floor. The countertop's not wiped down. They're just happy to see you. Fantastic, you're here. Cool, the house is a mess, but come on in. (laughs) They're not the ones that are saying, when they put out the food on the table, they're not the ones that are saying, I'm sorry, it's only this. They're saying, we got this and I can't wait to share it with you because it's a provision from him. And, in, and whatever he gives to me, I'm supposed to be, a, my house, my car, my clothes, my food, everything is supposed to be a blessing to others. He's blessed me, so therefore I bless others. That's what it's all about. Because folks, when we sit there and we talk about how our house looks and, and we make excuses for that, and we talk about how meager the food is on the table, we're making it about us. And not about God's provision for us. This is how they were living. This is how they were spending time together. They ate together. This is, this is humbling. They didn't have microwaves. They didn't have cooking quickly. What is it? Convection. They didn't have convection ovens. Okay? Okay. I like convection ovens because they cook things quicker too. It's just to me, You know? They didn't have this. To make a meal took time. It took effort. It took energy. It wasn't just a quick thing to do. But they ate together. They, they prepared meals together. They spent this time together because I know it's going to take more effort because I, I can cook for two and I take less time and I would have more leftovers or I can cook for 20 and have no leftovers and probably wonder where the food's going to come at tomorrow. But in cooking for 20 and allowing God to do this well, I'm going to trust in him more and see him provide more. It may actually make me dependent on my brothers and sisters in Christ as well as my God, which kind of seems to be what the Bible seems to say. They ate together. Why is this so important? About y'all, if you come over to my house on a daily basis and eat with us, you're going to get to see some things. Conversations. You're going to get to watch my daughter not like want to eat her food. You're going to watch us engage that over and over and over again. You get to watch, you know, the difficulties. You get to hear the lack of table manners and and the laughing about the lack of table manners. I mean, we're pretty open and raw when we're eating a meal. It's just, you get what you get with the Morris family when you're hanging out. We're not very polished people. Open Nebraska and Oklahoma, right, baby? Come on it's a lot of fun though you get to talk and, and, and be a part of each other's lives it, it's, it's an intimate thing when you're breaking bread and you're sitting down and you're sharing things together time consuming it does take time and some of us are going to say I just don't have time to live less way brother says I'm with you We're busy, but I heard a very convicting statement, and I want you to know this convicts my heart to the core from one of my professors at Dallas. He said, (sighs) so convicting, I'm scared to share it. Um, He said that the statement, I don't have time, is not a statement of fact but it's a statement of value. You look at the early church. What did they value? What was their greatest value? Living out the word of God, fellowshipping with each other, eating meals together, and praying together. That was their greatest value. That is so convicting to me. What's interesting about this last statement is it? it's the only one that's plural. Like I said, everything matters in Scripture. There's no mistakes. So he writes a singular, engaged in the apostles' teaching, singular, they fellowshiped. Singular, they ate together. But plural, they prayed together. And I believe that the reason this is plural because it's to show that the prayers were something that wasn't a once in a while thing. That it saturated everything that they did. That saturated, it was the defining characteristic of their time in the word. It was their defining characteristic of their fellowship. It was their defining characteristic of eating together. They prayed together. Notice something here in verse 47. Praising God. I love the word that's used here for praising God. It's not the word I was expecting to find. I was expecting to find a word that describes falling down and worshiping God. But instead I found a word that's used of the same word that was talked about. The leper who was cleansed and the lame man who walked. Do you think the leper who was cleansed and the lame man who walked just kind of went up to calmly to Jesus and said, you know, Thanks. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. I'm glad you could do that for me. I don't think so. I'm thinking, he's like, woohoo! Yeah, I got legs and they work. I can clean and I can interact. Life is new for me. It's all new. This is what's going on in their church. This word is this word of celebration, of excitement. I think I actually got two inches off the ground there. Yeah? Maybe an inch and a half? Okay. You know, You know, it was awesome. And these people were so excited for God's work to be present in their lives. They were excited to sacrifice for God. They were excited to give up their time for God. They were excited to give up their possessions. This wasn't, well, I guess if I have to give you 10 bucks for food, I'll give it to you. But it was like, yee-haw, God bless me. I can bless you. I mean, that's the brothers and sisters. We live in beautiful homes. We've got nice cars we're driving to here. I only know one person that rode his bike here, Tyler. The rest of us, I believe, drove here. Maybe if you walk, because you live close. But doggone, we got all these things. We, got, we are blessed beyond measure. God gave these things to be a blessing to others, even if you don't think you have much. Even with what you give you to be a blessing to others, the widow's might remember that? She didn't have much to give, but she still gave because God gave it to her, and she understood, I'm to be a blessing to others. All that has been given to me, I am to be used as a blessing to other people. Even my kids, even them, they're to be a blessing to other people. God gave them to me so I could teach them how to be a blessing to others and bless others with. My house, my car, my possessions, everything that I've got. Oh man, it's just exciting to think about living this way. And But what's crazy is we'll read this scripture passage and we'll say, that's great for them. I'm so glad that they could have lived that way. That's great for them. But let's be real. That ain't happening today. I believe it can. I believe it must. Could you imagine if in small sub-family groups of our local body church, if in pocket here and a pocket there and a pocket here and a pocket there and here, here, there and everywhere, we were living like this out in our community. Our neighbors were witnessing it. Our friends were being invited into it. Even the people we didn't really like were being invited into it. And we were sharing these things together and we were living this way. Could you imagine what would take place? I'll tell you what was taking place in the early church. It said, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, that was the early church period. God doesn't do that anymore. Maybe if his church would start living like he called them to live, maybe it would. It's his work. He calls us to live in light of what the incredible gift he's given to us. What an amazing perspective. What an amazing, I'm sorry, I just can't read that without just getting all kinds of excited and thinking of the possibilities. And maybe people are saying, well, Scott, you're, you're a dreamer. Yeah, I'm a dreamer. But you know what's crazy? Is I've heard this same dream written in the doggone Constitution. I've heard this same dream lived, spoken out by Martin Luther King. The world is aching. For a people that will live with one heart and one mind and in community and pursuing something that is beyond themselves, something that is bigger than them, pursuing God, they just don't know it. They also have the same ache we have to be in community. They just may not know it yet because it hasn't been revealed to them by the Holy Spirit, but we can go show it to them. And so that when they do trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're like, duh, I'm watching these people live this way. This is the way we were supposed to live. This is so cool. It's living life, and it's a terminology, but I absolutely love it. It's living life that demands a gospel explanation. That when people look in and they say, why are you people so weird? (laughs) Because Jesus loved me. Because Jesus showed me that I have this incredible, abundant life to live in him, and that's why. You see, nothing else matters. Because someday he's going to come back. Or someday we're going to go to the grave. And when we stand before him, he's not going to ask us how much money we made. He's got to ask us what position we held in our businesses. He's not going to ask us how many sporting events we participated in. He's not going to ask us those things. He's going to ask us, did you make disciples? And what is our response going to be? I was too busy? I couldn't hang out in a community. I couldn't do those things. I couldn't live life that way because I was too busy. This all goes away. And one of the things we use, is, I've used it, is my kids. I'm too busy with my kids. Then they're going to graduate. If I don't start living this way now, I got two years left with Ethan. I got five years left with you. I got more time with you. I'm going to need it too. I got, that's it. To teach them to live this way. Because I don't want them growing up and when somebody, when they walk out and they're going to college somewhere or they're doing something where God's got them at. And I don't want them going to look for a church that is about a Sunday meeting. That they think church is a place and not a people. I want them looking for the people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. That's what I want them doing. But in order to do that, we got to live it for them. And so we need to look at what we're valuing. We need to take time and say, what am I valuing? And what is keeping me from living for God on mission for him in all of life? What is it? Where do I got it? Where do I got it? Gotta... We have to. Christian, and I have to. For us, it was selling our home, and which is a really cool story. Remember a couple of weeks I was sharing with you guys that... We're, my beautiful bride has more faith than I do and that she had sent out letters and texted people about living in Suncrest, guess what? We move into Suncrest on the 20th. Amen. Thank goodness God gave her to me. So I've learned so many lessons through my wife about how good, glorious, gracious, and great God is. But... Because God's got a plan for us. God wants us in the neighborhood, and that just really confirms it up, locks it up. God wants us in that neighborhood because we have people there that are not yet believers that need to know what it is to be a child of God. We have people there who are hurt, who are broken, and who maybe were part of a church at one time, but they've walked away from it because they've understood church to be a building and an organization. The organization hurt them, and it beat them down, and it destroyed them, and they have never understood it was the people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. And so that's who we've got to go minister to. And we want to bring other Christians along with us. We want to bring a core of people who want to walk alongside of us and want to be a part of that and want to experience that. Who we're going to text daily. Who we're going to call daily. Who we're going to have over regularly to our home. Whether it's once a week or every other week. But we're going to be together. We're going to be involved in each other's lives. They're going to know my junk and I'm going to know theirs. And it's going to be cool because we're going to be in the messiness of life together. And none of us are perfect. And all of us are in need of God's grace. And we're going to pour out God's grace to each other daily. And some of you are really overwhelmed right now. And some of you are really scared right now. And some of you are really going, how in the world do we live the ancient way today? Well, we as a church believe that we're going to begin to form gospel communities. And this is how we're going to do it. Not in a super, hyper, controlling way. In fact, our mantra, as we've adopted from Grace City, is... High accountability, low control. How often does your group meet? Don't care. It just needs to be regular. What's the call and the purpose of your group? Whatever God lays on your heart. Who's God sending you to? I'm not going to control that. You see, it's going to be high accountability. When we look like that, we're going to be involved in each other's lives. When we sin, when we rejoice, when we celebrate, when we mourn, we're going to be part of all that. Because we need each other they define a gospel community as an age integrated core of believers it's not just based upon a certain age group of two to five family this is your core this is your core group this is the people who you're regularly meeting with intentionally living on mission together through the normal rhythms of life as an expression of the body of Christ brothers and sisters we eat together why not eat a meal together we're going to eat right We're going to have a meal, right? Why not have somebody there with you when you have it? Put it another way, we talked about our identity, right? Our identity is in God. And since God is Father, we are family. And man, I don't want that to be a tongue-in-cheek word. I don't want that to be a word that we just use flippantly. I grew up in a family that was tight. My mom and dad just left. And they couldn't leave after the first service without hugging the kids and hugging us and saying goodbye. We're tight family. I love having my mom and dad hang out. Dad has to leave because I've worn him out so much. <laughs> I love having my family. We're tight. I, knew, I grew up knowing what tight family looked like. I love my family. There's. I'm telling you what. I can give you no greater gift, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, than invite you into my family. Because I love my family. And I love my family time. And so my greatest way to say so I love you is to invite you into that. In fact is to want to adopt your family to my family. I love family, and I don't want us using that word flippantly. I want us using that word with great purpose and conviction. That when we speak of being a family of believers, we mean it. And we're able to be family because God is our Father. We're able to be missionaries because the Holy Spirit was sent. And we're able to be servants and empower, the Holy Spirit is sent and empowers us to live out the gospel commission, and we're servants because Jesus Christ was the ultimate servant, and we are identified in him. And so we're a family living as missionaries to a people as servants while being exposed and exposing others to the gospel. GCs are a family of missionary servants sent to make disciples. That's what we want to do. And it's going to take us a minute to get there, and I need your patience. You don't start something like this overnight and just expect it to explode and take off and do all the right things. But there's something you can start to do today. You can start inviting people into your lives. You can start sharing meals together. You can start talking about things together. And you may end up calling Robert or Jesse. Jesse, would you please raise your hand? Robert, please raise your hand. This is important that you know these guys. Okay? Jesse's our deacon over gospel communities and Roberts, an elder. Okay? These guys are subject matter experts. I just said it. I just said it. But what do we learn about being subject matter experts down at GCC? Okay, what's really cool is that GCC, Grace City Church down in Wenatchee, and, and I know we can sit here and say we're busy and we can't do this. Let me just throw this out to you. GCC has 40 gospel communities going on in their church four zero. GCC has 620 people directly involved in the gospel communities. I'm pretty sure that some of those people are busier than we are. but they're getting to hear stories. They're getting to not just hear stories. they're getting to be a part of people's lives where they're, since they're meeting and interacting and they're reaching their neighbors and their friends, that one of their friends who they once were interacting with, a gentleman, part of gospel community, they just happened to see, on their way to meet together, the men with the men. And they begin to interact. This guy's been in and out of their lives, and he, he turns to them and he says to them, my wife's going for an abortion tomorrow. That's pretty messy. And they began to plead with him. He left. She went to Seattle the next day to have her abortion. The gospel community had sent out a 911 prayer chain request and they began to pray. An abortion doctor told her too early on in the pregnancy for an abortion. (laughs) Those involved in that gospel community will never forget that. Their prayers were effectual. and changed the outcome. The same man they happened to run into again, God, divine appointments. One of the pastors, Adam James, was going into the courthouse to get his his, uh, licensure taken care of on a vehicle and he sees this guy walking out. Him and his wife and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, I gotta do some licensure stuff and they're like, what are you doing here? We're getting a divorce. They followed him back to their house and they went in their entryway for three plus hours implored them, begged them, pleaded with them to not do this. Not only did they not do it, they're now both baptized, they have a child, and they're faithfully serving God in the church. Now, I'm telling you what, I want to see that in my life. I want, to, I want my kids to experience that. It was a really cool story. Adam James, share another thing with you. Adam James, when the pastor's there was talking about this family that they were going to have over, and it was a messy family, and these kids were not well behaved. They were cursing this bunch of kids, and you know, and... and they were not well-behaved. They were angry. They were going to throw things. And they, he was inviting them into their home. And he turns to his kids and he informs his kids of, of what was going to take place. These people need Jesus. We're going to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. We're going to, be, we're going to show gospel to these folks. Those kids left. That little girl, Adam James's little girl, began to pray told, his, told her, his daddy that night that he's going, she's just going to be praying for him and she did for the next year until she placed her, the mom and dad placed their faith in Jesus Christ, were baptized. Tell me something, that little girl's going to know what prayer and effectual prayer looks like. We have to live for eternity, folks. This life will pass. For Christy and I, we had to sell our home. You know what's really cool in our gospel community? We've started something we shouldn't have started. We have two other couples that are getting ready to close sell their homes because they realize that their homes are not a burden. They're a burden and not a blessing. And they need to get rid of it and move and be where they need to be so that they can be a blessing for Jesus Christ and bless others with their home and everything that they have. Because they're seeing and they're believing that God's power is real and that his call and his conviction and his mission for their lives is real. It's contagious. When we start living like this, it becomes contagious. When we start realizing that everything we've been given is a be to be a blessing to others, it's contagious. You don't think you have much, but what you have is to be used by God to bless other people, and you will bless someone else with what meagerness you have. And it'll be so awesome. I love you all so much. And I know what I'm saying is hard. I'm right there with you. I promise you I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not going to do myself. I want to be right there along with you and I want to walk this road right there along with you. And at first, it may feel difficult and it may feel hard, but I'm telling you, you get into the rhythm. Go ask Kyle Pier. When I told him that we were going to meet weekly, he thought I'd flip my lid. <laughs> Now when a week goes by and we don't meet, and Kathy, I think you'd attest to this, it feels like something's missing. We text each other, we talk to each other, we're in each other's lives. I'm getting to take a guy golfing this week and next week. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do. Can't wait to bring him in and hopefully lean into our group and become part. To, get around to sit around and watch a bunch of Christians live imperfectly with each other and see that there's hope beyond this world. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this incredible, incredible life you've called us to live. And Lord God, I pray that you'd start to give a vision to all the people who call this church home and even to those who don't, Lord, who are visiting with us today, that they begin to realize that this is the place that, that church that's living this way is, is what God has called them to. And that no matter where they live, that they, they need to seek out and they need to be in a church that's living on mission for you in everyday life. Father, Thank you for considering me to be your child. Thank you for giving me the chance to show your love to others. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to love our community the way in which you loved us. Oh, Father, you're an amazing God and we love you. We pray this through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.